Hey, what's happening? Episode 108. I am Shane. And I'm Nico. And we're very happy and excited to have back on the show. I, I don't know how many times this, this has been, but you've been on, I think you've been, you're probably the most frequent guest that we've had on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we're welcome to have uh, Scott Horton back. How are you doing? The great Scott. I'm doing great. Yeah, the great Scott Horton. Yeah, that's correct. Ow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you guys? Good to see you both. Yeah, doing pretty good. Yep. Uh, so we're here with uh, with with your book. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. Um, I guess you can call it a sequel to the first one that you that you uh, put out, Fool's Errand. Time to end the war in Afghanistan. Um, so kind of just give a little brief, um, I guess, introduction to the to the new book that you just came out with. Sure. Well. Um, that's the book I was trying to write in the first place. And what happened was I got bogged down in the Afghan quagmire, as has happened to so many imperialists <laughs> over the years. And I just could not wrap up Afghanistan. And at some point I decided, well, screw it. I'm just going to have to go ahead and turn this into a book about Afghanistan. Otherwise, I'm going to be writing for six years and put out a 600 page tome that nobody's going to want to read. And I can't bear to cut out all the stuff I already wrote. So I went ahead and put out a book about Afghanistan. Then this was the book I was trying to write in the first place, which was hopefully a short and sweet enough and yet informative enough take on all of the wars so that you just, there's really nothing left to argue. And I cover, you know, Somalia's in there and Yemen is there. It's Afghanistan, Iraq War II, Pakistan, Somalia, Libya, Syria, Iraq War Three, and uh, Yemen, of course, at the end, and so it's all there. And and of course, America's relationship with Iran is a huge part of the story, you know, in the background. And America's relationship with Israel is a huge part of the background to the story the whole time through. And so it's basically, you know, from Jimmy Carter all the way through America's Middle East policy, as told by Antiwar.com. <laughs> um. So. With all that, uh, um, you know, being said and having a, a new president, uh, Joe Biden, um, can you, I guess, give a little brief um, overview of how with the whole uh, Donald Trump presidency and how that kind of, you know, going from him to Joe Biden? Because I saw some people and I know that you were tweeting about it because I know you're back on Twitter and all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, at least for now. But um, there was something that happened. I think it was maybe the f- people were saying like it was maybe, uh, like the first two or three days of Joe Biden's presidency or whatever. They're saying oh. that oh, they're bringing in troops already into Syria or, or where? Yeah, they're saying they're bringing troops into Iraq or something. Yeah, and I know you're basically calling bullshit on that. So can you kind of talk about that as well? Like, like everybody was basically flipping out, saying, "See, it only took two or three days for Joe Biden to bring troops back into so and so." Right. And the thing is, you know, if you replace days with weeks or months, I'm sure this will be true soon enough, right? I mean, I call bullshit on this, as you said, not in any way to defend the Biden administration, but just because things that aren't true aren't true. And I have learned sometimes the hard way and sometimes because I have some smarts that you have to click through. You have to make sure that the thing says that the guy says it says. And in both of these cases... Um, it was Iraq and Syria. There are two stories that came out last week. But if you go and try to find the origin of them, one of them was some anonymous person on Twitter with an anonymous avatar, even, 
who says Biden is considering sending troops back to Iraq. And then he links to an article in the Jerusalem Post that says no such thing whatsoever. It's just not even in there. And it got a million, you know, pickups, retweets and quote tweets and all the likes and all the shares. And then there was another one just like it where the news story was some trucks had come from Iraq across the border into Syria. Well, all that is American occupied territory, right? America occupies Western Iraq, has bases in Western Iraq and in Eastern Syria. And even the story, the original story had in like paragraph three or four, and these are one sentence paragraphs. I mean, this is right there that this happens all the time. Yeah. Trucks and equipment go back and forth from Iraq to Syria all the time. Now, do I sound like I'm endorsing this policy? Obviously not. I'm just saying the fact that some trucks and some troops and some equipment were traveled from here to there between Iraq and Syria doesn't mean anything. It doesn't even mean a change in tactics, much less a change in strategy, much less a new policy for what America is doing in Iraq or in Syria. The whole thing is just garbage. It's just not true. Both of those things, both of those stories were completely fake. But then you see what happened was a bunch of pro-Trump type people had a severe investment or an incentive, I should say, to try to make this seem right. Oh, yeah. As though it was just implied. They never quite outright stated it, but they were trying to make it seem like Trump had pulled all of our troops out of Iraq and Syria. If there's troops in Iraq and Syria now, it's because Biden is putting them back in, which was just not true. But it made it sound like, oh, see, that's what happens when you vote for the Democrat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it makes Trump sound good. When the fact is, how are their troops and trucks and equipment available in Western Iraq to cross into Eastern Syria. Cause Trump never withdrew them. Yeah. That's why that's how, how else could they have done that? I think they drove from Kuwait all the way, all the way across Iraq to get to Syria's Eastern border. That wasn't the story. Come on. And then there was a, a massive suicide bombing in Baghdad, you know, presumably bin Ladenites targeting the Shiites there. And then, so there was an article about that, and the article was written by an Israeli hawk saying Biden should consider sending troops, or what, he didn't even say that. He was just saying this would be like an opportunity for Biden to send troops or something. But but the article did not say that any anything like Biden was doing so. But now, if he does this in a week, or in two weeks, or in three weeks, or in a month, I will not be surprised at all. And I'll tell you right now, the only hope I have for Biden ending a war in the near term at all is Yemen. I think there's a lot of political pressure on him to end the war in Yemen. It's so unjustified. And it's actually really kind of a miracle and surprising how much attention it's gotten from the grassroots and from politicians considering a total media blackout. This is not an official agenda of our establishment at all. And yet it keeps coming up because some good politicians and grassroots activists keep pushing and pushing and pushing. There's no Yemen lobby in the United States at all, much less something that compares to the Saudi lobby. But I think there's a lot of pressure to end the war in Yemen, but I'm under no illusions at all that he's going to get us out of Iraq or Syria. There's virtually no pressure on him to do so. They haven't made a single sound like they're going to do so. They're already talking like they're going to break Trump's deal with the Taliban and stay in Afghanistan and all special operations forces all throughout, you know, all the, the so-called war on terrorism, 
against al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda-linked groups across the Middle East and North Africa is going to continue for two years of Biden and 10 years of Harris, if they have their way. <laughs> yeah, so the um, part that you're talking about from the Jerusalem Post, uh, mm -hmm. so the quote that uh, that I thought was interesting, was kind of you alluded to, was um, so – uh, quote, the bombing provides U.S. President Joe Biden with an early opportunity to show U.S. support for Iraq. Biden has said that the U.S. is back and the world can expect the U.S. to care again about foreign policy and work multilaterally to solve problems. God help them all. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. So that's kind of basically what you're saying where it's like, oh, see, well, now there's a suicide bomb that happened. So we got to do something about that. Right. And right. Not it's not like it happened in our backyard or something like that. It happened like million thousands of miles away or whatever. And that would have been a great tweet too, right? If Stormtrooper Helmet Guy had just told the truth about what that article said, hey, look, Israelis exploiting this suicide attack to demand America invade Iraq more again. Yeah. After we've been bombing them for 30 years, after the Islamic State has been virtually decimated. I mean, there's still, you know, ISIS fighter remnants. But the Iraqi Baghdad government can take care of that. They don't need our help for that. You know, they have this mythology that, well, you can't ever leave Iraq because see what happened last time? Obama pulled out of Iraq. Next thing you know, ISIS took over Western Iraq. Yeah, but they're leading out a really big step in the middle, which is Obama gave al-Qaeda about $5 billion and about $10 billion worth of weapons and coordination and training and help and everything they needed in Syria to try to fight the government of Bashar al-Assad there. And that blew back into the creation of the Islamic State. If Obama had never had that Syria policy, there would have been no ISIS to take over Western Iraq at all. Regardless of Bush making that sort of a lawless Western kind of open, uh, you know, ungoverned territory, the local tribal leaders had completely isolated and marginalized the jihadists back in 2006. They were powerless until Obama came and saved them in 2011. So I don't want to hear anything about, oh, you can't leave Western Iraq because ISIS will come back. The Shiite government in Baghdad is supported by the supermajority population of the country. And it's that government's fault that they have such an ISIS problem in a lot of ways too, the way they mistreat the Sunnis. But as far as dealing with the Bin Ladenite insurgency, they don't need our guys for that. You could pull the last few thousand American troops out of Iraq and the remnants of the Sunni base insurgency. If you really want to fight it, tell the Saudis to stop financing it. And that'll be the biggest step that you need. You don't need special operations forces in the West there. Yeah. So I was listening to uh, one of your more, most recent episodes about ending the war in Yemen and everything and how there's all this pressure, it seems like, for uh, President Biden to end this war, which is it's, it's kind of interesting because you know, obviously with the whole Obama administration that obviously Joe Biden was the vice president of and the Yemen war basically starting under him. I, I'm kind of curious as to like, is it just because maybe he was someone that didn't want that war to start to begin with? Or is he someone that like maybe he's had a change of heart after all this time? He feels like, man, this is terrible. Or maybe he like he like you were saying, there's just all this political pressure on him to do it. And, you know, he did that. He, you are right when he was talking about how he, he basically promised that, yeah, I am going to, you know, end the war. Um, Cause I know like some of his people that are in his cabinet now, they basically also said, yeah, we're going to, we want to end the war in Yemen. We don't like, the, you know, we don't like all that that's happening there and everything like that. But, you know, just like with Trump, he could have easily been like, you know, executive order day one, 
it's over. But yeah. what it's been like as this recording, like five or six days now, and it's still happening. So yeah. either either it's like number four hundred thousand two hundred in his list of things that he wants to do, you know. But instead, you know, he's gonna have uh, he's gonna over uh, was like overturn some rule to have uh, you know uh, like transgender people in the military now because now they can go and bomb people and they can kill people overseas now. So that there's that. So yeah. that, I guess to them that was that was more important. Yeah, I saw that today. That was pretty ugly. You know, so here's the thing. This is mostly bad news, I think. So last week, the very end of the the Trump government, the very last minute, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, added the Houthis to the terrorist list. Right. And this means now it's a crime to deliver food aid to the starving people there, basically. And so this is something that the Biden government could overturn immediately. And the fact that, that Mike Pompeo only made this shit up last week means that Trump, I mean, uh, that Biden and his government can just unmake it up right now. Right. And instead what they do, they go, they flipped other things already. You know, they flipped some of the, then you do like 19 executive orders. Yeah. And I think a half of them were overturning some of the Trump actions, whatever. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, they, in other words, it would be in keeping with the theme that we are undoing some of the craziest worst stuff that Trump did. How about including this one last week, putting the Houthis, who never attacked the United States of America, who are not an international terrorist group whatsoever, uh, on the international terrorist list, which was designed just to deprive them of food, which was designed, you know, to increase that maximum pressure starvation campaign of the U.S. against Iran, which hardly has a thing to do with the situation in Yemen, despite all the hype about it. Right. So Biden could have come in, turned that off immediately. Instead, what do you do? He said, well, we're going to review it. But then the good news is they decided to make some exceptions and go ahead and allow food aid to continue while they review it. So I'm sorry, but all I'm hearing is the war is not ending, right? If they're going to end the war, that'd be that. And oh, by the way, we're taking them off the terrorist list too. That would be a side issue compared to ending the war. And so, I mean, we are talking about Joe Biden here, you know, Essentially, Joe Biden, if you're not really familiar with him, picture of George W. Bush had been a senator for 50 years. That's who you got. That's who the president is now. That's why you see that meme where, you know, it has Joe Biden's face and it has, you know, his, his face on a, a cup or on a can of Bush light. Oh, a can of Bush light, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's he's one of the, I swear to God, this is true, dude. You look this up. It's... um. This great leftist writer, a good friend of ours at antiwar.com, his name is um, Bronco Marchteach. It's spelled like Marcetic, sort of, kind of. Bronco Marcetic. Um, uh, and he wrote this book called Yesterday's Man. And in there, I'm 99% sure this is where I got this from, is that book. Um, I'm almost certain it is. Mm-hmm. And he says in there that when Biden first got to the U.S. Senate in 1973. He was elected in 72, took office at the beginning of 73. One of the first things he did, maybe the first thing he did, was condemn Richard Nixon for his hasty and precipitous plans for withdrawal from Vietnam. Wow. But um, psh, right, that's who this guy is. That's who he's always been. And he's, and he's, you know, the the Democrats have this disease where don't call me a hippie. Don't call me a homo. Don't call me a feminist. And I'm going to prove what a right wing tough guy I am by being more right wing and more tough guy, even than Republicans. Um, 
like Hillary Clinton, for example, Joe Biden has that disease so bad. So don't call him soft on law and order. In fact, don't call the Democrats soft on law and order. Because if you call the Democrats soft on law and order, then how do you explain Joe Biden? And then he says, and this is a direct quote, right? Where my name is on every crime bill in this country in the last 30 years, right? Yeah, that's true. Because he spent the entire 1980s teamed up with Strom Thurmond, the Dixiecrat, to attack Ronald Reagan from the right for mm. being too weak and soft on drugs and crime. He was the one who demanded the creation of the drug czar position to oversee all the prosecutions and between the DOJ and DEA and all of this. He invented and pioneered civil asset forfeiture, mandatory minimums, abolished parole in the federal prison system, and just uh, all the, the mandatory minimums for possession of drugs. This is where he bragged, oh, you see this nickel in my hand? You see a black guy with a crack rock in his hand, this in his pocket, this big. He's going to prison for 20 years. He said every bit of that except the black guy part, but that was what he meant. And they did that. I mean, this was the guy. This is the most evil Democrat senator the whole time. He uh, had opposed Iraq War One. I. I don't know why. But for whatever reason, he opposed Iraq War One. But everybody loved Iraq War One. Hmm. So... That was a big embarrassment on his part. Same for John Kerry. Same for Bill Clinton and his wife, Hillary, even though Bill had only been a governor. Right. He had to apologize during the campaign of 92 for opposing the war. <laughs> People like overlooked it. <laughs> OK, so Biden and Kerry and Hillary all learned this lesson. So that when W. Bush came for Iraq War II, that boy, we better support it if we know what's good for us politically. We never lived down the embarrassment of rightly opposing the last war that everybody loves so much and got such good ratings on TV and everything. And so not only did they vote for the war, but Joe Biden particularly, but all of those uh, mentioned there, they led the campaign for war against Iraq in the U.S. Senate. And now, of course, I got to pick on Hillary here, too, especially because she was the previous president's wife. And so it was understood that, look, she has she's on the Armed Services Committee. She has clearance. She's married to the previous president. If she says she knows that there are weapons there, then she does. Right. Like the previous president has got the highest and, and did have just the other day, just a year ago the highest imaginable clearance to every level of secret. And if she says that Saddam's got the weapons, obviously Bill Clinton is telling her that that is right. And so now it's like bipartisan. And it's so funny because Bill Clinton was known, you guys might be too young for this, but Bill Clinton was known as a worse liar. He just lied about everything, even for no reason when he didn't have to, when the truth would have served him much better. He still lied anyway, whatever. But then when it came to weapons of mass destruction, they would go, well, even Bill Clinton says it's true. So now <laughs> that's how you know it's true. And he has Hillary say it's true. So, you know, well, Biden was the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So not only did he serve and he did not only did he serve as Cheney uh, Bush and Cheney's whip in the Senate, making sure that the Democrats, they were the majority, the opposition party were the majority in the Senate. They could have stopped the war. He was the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. And instead of stopping the war, he made sure that it happened. 
he made sure that the Democrats in the Senate were on board for that thing. And in contrast, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House of Representatives by almost, I think unanimously voted against her, almost unanimously voted against. I think possibly a couple of, I think it was unanimous in the House that the Democrats opposed it while they, they supported it in the Senate, certainly enough to pass the resolution. And then Biden supported the war and refused to apologize and said it was great until right around the time when they were arguing over whether to launch the surge or not at the end of 2006, beginning in 2007, then he opposed the surge. And by then, I think it was just politics. I don't know that he really had gotten burned and ever like sat there with a cup of brandy or glass of brandy thinking to himself that like, boy, this war did not work out as I thought it would or what. And he is smarter than W. Bush and smarter than Trump. I don't think that means he's necessarily thoughtful in any way, but he's not. Well, he is a complete idiot, but only in some ways, not others, right? Like he's a complete idiot, but one who doesn't have to be. If he wanted to be, he's smart enough to be thoughtful if he tried, right? But he just always does the wrong thing, always. I, I forgot who it was that told me that, like, they had a little bit of hope for Biden just because he's already made every wrong decision that he could possibly make in his life. He's already been wrong and bad on everything. And so now what's left except to say, like, I don't know, guys, we tried that a couple yeah. times. He's 78. He's been yeah. there for all of this mess this whole time. And so... um you know, I think that there's a reasonable chance to believe. I mean, I hope nobody in your audience misinterprets this as me selling hope and change or partisanship in any way. But I just think in this, all other things being equal and thinking about who all is in his cabinet with him, he might be one of the least worst guys in his government. His national security advisor is horrible. It's Hillary Clinton's right-hand man, Jake Sullivan, is just a total monster, just absolute as bad the worst Democrat you could have picked for that job. If you said to me, hey, Scott, who'd be the worst Democrat you could make for national security advisor? I'd have said, yeah, probably that Jake Sullivan, <laughs> man. You know, uh, that's really bad. And Anthony Blinken also is worse than Biden on most things. You know, his, you know, his, um, his, his secretary of defense, I don't know a lot about him, but I know he's on the board of Raytheon and he was the head of central command. And I know that, you know, so I know this Pentagon reporter, Mark Perry, who knows him and has written about him. I interviewed Mark about him and he said that, well, and I put two and two together about this from previous reporting from Mark. So when you guys have, when we've talked about Yemen in the past, remember, I'm always trying to make this big point about how in January of 2015, the Wall Street Journal and Al Monitor both reported that CENTCOM was working with the Houthis, giving them intelligence to use to kill Al-Qaeda guys. And then two months later, Obama stabbed them in the back and took Al-Qaeda's side and Saudi Arabia's side against them, which is just the ugliest damn thing. Well, so part of that story was the guys at the Central Command were really angry about this. And now we know... Oh, that was Lloyd Austin was the commander of Central Command. Hmm. That was him and his men that were working with the Houthis to kill Al-Qaeda guys. And that, according to this latest story in Foreign Policy by Mark Perry, that when Obama made this decision, that Austin was so angry about it, he was going to send a memo directly to the president objecting and, and scolding him for it, but his colleagues prevented him from doing so. And then, of course, he clicked his heels and prosecuted this genocidal war anyway. 
and I guess for years after that. So, you know, F him. But at least it goes to show that he knows who's who over there and that when they when they turn the policy from, uh, you know, killing Al-Qaeda to backing him, he was like, what? <laughs> you know, because this is, a, you know, he's a general, right? He's not a partisan. He's not all caught up in what Benjamin Netanyahu feels like this morning. You know, he's got a job to do. And so I'm not justifying it, but I'm just saying that's a perspective that allows for some freedom of thought. You know what I mean? And, and ability to analyze the situation. Again, he did the wrong thing anyway, but it goes to show that he definitely knows better. And now that he's the secretary of defense and now it's not Obama, but it's Biden. Oh, here's the thing that I'll say about Biden. I'm by the way, I'm like trying to find silver linings here. Okay. I'm not, I could just sit here and only condemn the guy, but, um, there, it does remain to be seen what he's going to do with this power. He's never had this power before. But I did read this anecdote that I thought was interesting that I guess I hadn't really considered before. I know that he defended Obama from the generals a bit, you know, like when they were trying to escalate the war in um, Afghanistan. Yeah. Biden still wanted an escalation, but he wanted the minimal escalation compared to the giant counterinsurgency surge and all that. But this thing I read about him talked about, it emphasized the age difference. And now here Obama was coming in. He was what, 45, something like that. And Biden was already like 65. He's like 30 years older than Barack Obama. And that he really saw it as his job to help this kid, to guard him and protect him from the machine. I mean, Obama was a pretty new senator even. And here he was the president. He's got these very tough guy generals who always speak with such certainty about everything. And, and are just laying on such political pressure. And apparently Biden said and did act this way a bit that he saw it kind of as his role to deflate these generals a bit and to be able to tell Barack Obama, you know, at the end of the day or end of the hour when everybody else leaves the room, Biden's the last guy in the room and he can say to him, listen, I know these generals come on really strong, but still you're the boss and you don't, you know, remember your role here and you don't have to give in to them. And he's, just kind of came from that point of view they saw his job as kind of protecting obama from the harshest you know kind of uh, instincts or, or motivations of the national security state to escalate whenever and wherever he supposedly opposed the war in libya too he sure didn't resign over it i don't know what he what his position on was on syria i know after the fact he correctly described how the the plan completely backfired and they built up al-qaeda and isis and it was an absolute disaster I'm sure you guys are familiar with that clip of him at Harvard talking about that. Hmm. So, um, oh, and one more thing about Biden is that he killed his own son. The reason he's stuck with Hunter now is because he killed Bo. And the way that he killed Bo was by helping Bush lie us into war with Iraq. Now, Bo didn't get shot and killed or blown up by an IED in Iraq, but he was stationed next to a burn pit um almost certain near the Mosul Dam. I'm trying to remember now. I think it was up in Mosul near the Mosul Dam. And they had a base with a giant burn pit where everything in the world is just thrown in there and burnt with gasoline, including, you know, computers and munitions and God knows what. And there's this is a horrible epidemic of call it Gulf War II illness if you want, whatever you want. But it's really ugly. And he buried his son. And then after that, uh, there's a guy named Joe Hickman who's already a hero because he blew the whistle on the CIA murdering three men down at Guantanamo Bay in 2006. Mm. Uh, this guy, uh, Joseph Hickman, is his name. 
But um, then he wrote another book called The Burn Pits. And in that book, he talks about Bo Biden. And I think he gives a whole chapter to Bo Biden saying like this pretty much is this is what happened to Bo was the burn pits. So now, again, Joe Biden, I'm not saying he's wise. I'm not saying he's thoughtful or like extremely intelligent, but he's smart enough to know and 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 knowledgeable enough to remember his own role in starting that war. He has to know even you know what I mean? And like George W. Bush is the kind of guy just never look back. Just shrug, never even worry about it, right? But I don't think that's the case with Biden. I think that Biden must have just bitter regret over the role that he played in getting this country into that war that ended up killing his own son. In fact, you guys have probably seen this clip. On one hand, see, I'm a Biden hater. So I see this clip and I just pick on him for it because it's the clip of the two soldiers say, you lied us into war. We fought in Iraq. We lost our friends over there. But then they didn't have a good question, right? So they kind of go, you're not qualified. Right. Then he doesn't know what to do, right? Because he doesn't really have anything to say, and he knows that they're right. And they're, they're soldiers from the war, right? So if he's looking them right in the face. What's he going to do? So he says, well, I lost my son too. And the guy says, yeah, but I didn't say anything about your son. And he goes, well, you better not. Yeah. Which is like, come on, man, you're the one who brought him up, right. right? And then he walks away. So this, so I always pick on him because he's hiding behind this. Yeah. He brings up his own dead son that he killed in order to use him as a force field so he can run away from these veterans calling him out for his bad judgment. But there's another part of that, which is that's what he thinks. If somebody says, hey, my friend died in Iraq, Bond, you're bullshit. He says, my son did too, because he knows that that's true. He knows that that's true. And so, you know what? Like, I don't know. I think in the World War II era, they'd be like, that's right. My son died over there in the war with honor and valor and glory. And it was great. And we destroyed the enemy. And that's why I should have even more power. But this isn't that, is it? This is just regret. Everyone knows we shouldn't have done Iraq War II. Everyone calls it, they call it on TV, on Sunday morning news, a war of choice. On war of choice? You mean an aggressive war like when Japan attacked us like that? Mm -hmm. Which was the most dastardly, infamous thing that, that anyone ever did anyone, apparently. Remember? A war of choice. And so he lied us into that and then lost his own son over it. You know, I think that's... It's got to be a big deal to him. And I'm not saying he's a good person. I'm not saying he's a decent man. I'm not saying even if he lost all of his sons and daughters that it, he, it would ever make a decent person out of him. You look at his record and he's just a monster. And as you just said, we're on day five right now. How come the war's not over yet? He could turn this whole thing off right now, just like Donald Trump could have with a spoken word out loud. Secretary, get me the prime minister of Great Britain on the phone. Here's what we're doing. We're ending the war today. Okay, bye. And that's it. Get me Crown Prince bin Salman. Mohammed, it's over. Yeah. Okay, talk to you later. And that's it. He wouldn't even have to make the call. He could just have his chief of staff make the call. He yeah, would have the Secretary and, of Defense make the call. And, and it'd be over.
And a couple of things about that um, real quick is that if it's like, say for example, like if Ron Paul had become president, I'm sure, you know, and this is just speculation because we don't even know, you know, sure. obviously, but I'm pretty sure if someone of Ron Paul's ilk was like completely anti-war and they were on that for pretty much their whole political life, I would think if they were, if they became president, you know, they're going to sign an executive. Okay. I want all the troops home by 1159 PM today. And that this is the executive order or, or whatever. Like this is what we're doing and you, you got to do it. I'm the president now. So go do it now. Mm -hmm. Right. That's it. So, I mean, he could have done that, but like you said, you know, it's been almost a week now and it's still going on and who knows if it's going to end or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then the, the other thing is about Joe Biden and, and, and Bo Biden is that, well, now that one of his sons died there, well, now he's comfortable with your son's dying there too, because, Hey, I had that experience. So now be. I want to have you experience it too. Cause I mean, if, right. we're, if we're thinking about it in terms of like the, like completely dark and like the completely like evil conclusion, then yeah, he can be like, yeah, well, we're still going to be there because I lost a son. Now it's your turn because now you know what's going to like. Now now you know what's going to feel like to have someone die that you that you know and love. My bet is that is not his thinking. But I have to tell you that you're right that that is the kind it could be, right? Someone could suggest that to him and he could turn him right around. Mm -hmm. My feeling right now is that that's not the way he's looking at it, but you're right that hey, you know, uh if if he gave his all as the leader himself, then how could he expect anything less of us his subjects yeah so you're right it could get ugly um I, the good news is we're out of countries to attack that can't hit back i saw people say oh great biden is the president now we're gonna attack iran <laughs> no we're not if we we're gonna attack iran we'd have attacked iran under george w bush possibly under trump but trump had no intention of attacking iran either that was the whole point of the maximum pressure policy was we can't attack iran Right. And just think of the gazillion dollars worth of military and economic resources up and down the western coast of the Persian Gulf there, the Arabian coast there in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar, in UAE and Bahrain. We got our air base in Qatar, our fifth fleet station in Bahrain. We've got our entire, you know, I don't know, 100,000 troops or 75 or 100,000 troops stationed in Kuwait. Um, thousands more in Iraq and Afghanistan, all within medium range missile re reach. You know, uh, we can't just like those pictures. Hey, how dare the Iranians put their country so close to all our military bases? You know what? In a way, that's keeping the peace, right? In a way, our government deploying our military assets so close to Iran means we can't hit them because they can hit right back and we can't stop them. And so, and it would be, it would be a catastrophe. They could hit back in a way that any president would really regret starting that conflict, you know? So I don't know. I, what, what we do face is if they have their way again, two years of Biden and 10 years of Kamal Harris, we will have unending special operations and CIA war against bin Ladenites. I, I am not predicting more regime change. I could be wrong, dude. These kooks and the, the Zionists, you never know what the Israel lobby in D.C., what the hell they've got you know up their sleeve. Obviously, they still at least kind of want to target Iran, depending on which sect you're talking about, I suppose, of the hawks. Um, I mean, really, the Syria war is over. You're not going to start the Syria war over, right? But then I saw you know last summer, 
Kamala Harris was saying, oh, yeah, we got to start supporting democracy movements for the freedom and the dignity of the people of Syria. Democracy movement. Yeah. In other words, suicide bombers. Right. In other words, Al Qaeda in Syria again, the, the worst of the battle days. I mean, we can't go back to that. I mean, if they go, I don't, I can't, I'm not picturing that. So, um, you know, if anything, just Bush and Obama already burnt all the easy to reach kindling. If we have a real war now, it's going to be with China and then we'll all be dead in a day and it won't matter anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sadly we're gonna have to uh, cut it short. Um, but, one last thing is that uh, the whole Venezuela coup thing that could also be in play as well under Biden. Um, so yeah, just keep that also in mind. Um, True. Yeah. They want it. Although again, I don't think they can get that. How are they going to get that? I mean, that's like saying I want a coup at your house. Like, okay, but how am I, you know, supposed to pull this off in a way that's actually beneficial to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I have to, cause enough damage to your place trying to take it over and it's not worth any gain to be had you know and and plus all the injuries i gotta sustain in the process it just makes no sense makes no sense and and they're not smart enough to have the cia hire the right guys to do an effective coup they've been trying to overthrow the government of venezuela since 2002 they get their asses handed to them every single time in fact, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but if you want to laugh your ass off tonight, watch The Revolution Will Be Televised about the coup of 2002. I won't give away the surprise. You're going to love it. <laughs> it's so much fun. I swear to God. All right. Well, uh, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on. You know, again, we have to cut this short. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, his book, his new book, mm -hmm. Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Uh, you can go ahead and plug anything else that you want to plug. I'm at antiwar.com, libertarianinstitute.org, and enoughalreadybook.net. Uh, we'll forge on to the book page at the Libertarian Institute. I'm on the radio on uh, Sunday mornings, KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. And I'm back on Twitter, like a oh, bad drug addiction at Scott Horton Show. Oh, uh, scotthorton.org. Did I mention that? I got 5,400 something interviews about foreign policy at scotthorton.org which is probably the Guinness Book of World Records for most interviews saved up on any one website, right? Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's pretty crazy amount of interviews there. I mean, you've been doing it since, what, 2003 now? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so, you know, all that good work that you've been doing, really appreciate it and keep it up. Um, but again, thanks for coming on, Scott. really appreciate it. Hey, great to see both of you guys. I hope we can talk again soon. Yep. All right, and for everyone else uh, listening and watching, we'll see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs> Oh,